Hi, my name is Bob Brooks, host and moderator of Long in the Tooth. This is a podcast primarily for late career dentists who are interested in doing a great job with their practices currently and also in planning for a transition of their practices to new ownership in the future. Our vision for the podcast is to be an educational format, not salesy at all. If you have been directed to join this podcast by a member of the dental industry in the United States, please thank them. This is going to benefit you. These are educational presentations that will hopefully help your profitability, your peace of mind, and your planning for the future as you are considering transitioning your practice to new ownership. Hi, this is Bob Brooks with Long in the Tooth podcast. We're pleased that you're able to join us once again. And for our second episode, we have on the subject of uh, what uh, buyers are looking for these days, we have with us Greg Jones, and Greg is going to address the buyer types of uh, DSOs and groups. Greg, we're glad to have you join us today. Bob, thanks for having me on again. And I'm glad we got to talk about the two different types of buyers out there, both private and DSOs. So we can kind of tackle both and learn about what both are looking for. So hopefully I can share a tidbit about uh, what DSOs are looking for and some of the differences between some of the DSOs and groups. Well, that's a good place to start, Greg. What are groups and what are DSOs and what's the difference? Yeah, I think everyone's probably heard the acronym DSO before. So they used to be called dental service organizations, but as of recent, they didn't like that terminology. So they, they've changed it to dental support organization. Um, but really in layman's terms, it short and sweet, it's essentially corporate America for dental practices. And they're going to manage your HR. They're gonna do your marketing, the payroll, the staff recruiting, the accounting, really all the stuff that business owners have to do and a lot of dentists who own practices don't like to do uh hear that constantly if i could just do dentistry you know life would be good so they take that off your hands and and they do that for you and you know dso's being corporate you know they're not going to your bank of america on the street corner to get money like your private doctors are um but really to conclude you know dso's they're just a corporation that handles all the management of multiple locations remotely. I guess that would probably be the best way to, to sum it up. And there's also groups out there. So, you know, people can interpret groups many different ways, but my definition of a group is it's something that's privately owned, right? And I would consider groups, I, people don't like this, but in reality, groups are wannabe DSOs. So they're privately owned typically by dentists, doctors, but not necessarily. There are some loopholes where, you know, someone who's not a dentist, you know, could still own a dental practice, you know, depending upon the laws per different states. But they're also going to have associates and it could be a solo location or it could be multiple locations. But they're going to use probably the biggest difference, Bob, is they're going to use traditional financing, generally speaking. There are some groups that do get sophisticated enough and they do get large enough. You know, they might have, let's say, six locations. And, uh, you know, they, they might be able to get PE backing, but, but really when someone gets starts getting PE backing, that's kind of where I would start calling them a DSO at that point. 
but they're not going to be as sophisticated as a DSO. And, you know, again, the biggest takeaway is they're really limited by what they can pay because they do have to use some sort of traditional financing. And by PE, you mean private equity, right? Yes, thank you. Well, what have you seen in the DSO world in regards to buying practices and, and where do you see uh, this tr the trends of today going in the future? Yeah, yeah, so it, it's like DSO is a bad word, you know? <laughs> Everyone's scared of DSOs, but I think there's a place for DSOs and private practitioners, but you know, DSOs, I hate to say it, whether you like it or not, in these groups, they're, they're not going anywhere. I mean, they're, they're growing by the day. I read a statistic that 12% of practices today in America are DSOs. So uh, I would be interested to see, you know, fast forward five years, what that number is going to be. And, and I do think they're going to continue to grow. There, there's just no doubt about it. And I kind of have something that I can relate to. My, my brother, he's a GP and doing what I do, you would think he'd own a practice, but he's been out of school three years. He really enjoys work-life balance and he just doesn't have any desire to buy a dental practice. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you know, there's, there's something to be said where, you, you know, you can leave at 501 and don't have headaches. So I, I think the younger generations have a different mindset and it's going to be really interesting, you know, where dentistry goes. But like I said, DSOs, they're not going anywhere and they're pumping out new grads left and right. So there's, there's a steady supply of doctors. Um, other than that, I, I even have doctors that reach out to me, Bob, and you do too, you know, that have owned practices. They're in their forties and fifties and they are burnt out from the managerial side of dentistry. They still need to work. They still need to make a living. Right. But they just can't, manage the staff anymore and they can't they're tired of worrying about payroll and all the other things that go into it so they're looking to transition and, and they're selling to corporate dentistry and it's a win-win right it's exactly what they want they wanted someone to handle that so th there's definitely a place in the market long story short for dso's good well uh, with dso's what are these uh what are they looking for in a prospective practice that they're evaluating yeah so it ranges from DSO to DSO, but generally speaking, they want five operatories minimum, but more the better. That, that keeps changing. So it, it was five, five ops this year. I can promise you next year, they're all going to be telling us that they want six ops minimum, you know, so, uh, but minimum of five operatories as of now. And they're looking for a practice that has revenues of greater than 800,000. And they want the seller to stay on for a minimum of two years. That's, that's probably the biggest you know, consideration, in my opinion, you know, a seller has to be able to commit for two years. If, if you're not willing to do that, it's no deal. Now groups, right? I, I mentioned groups earlier, you know, these privately owned, uh, want to be DSOs as I, I keep referencing, they are more flexible. So they may not pay as much as a DSO, but there's pros and cons just like anything. And they may not require you to stay on for two years. But these DSOs, they require you to stay on for two years minimum. And that's, that's increasing. You know, a lot of them are you know, asking for three years now. Aside from that, they are wanting practices that are PPO fee-for-service. Now, there are, again, some DSOs, they will consider a practice that has an HMO component, but PPO fee-for-service is 
of the most desirability. And then lastly here, they want something with retail, you know, standing and high visibility and lots of signage. That's a big part of their model. They, they, they are a big believer in, in walk-in traffic. They want to be next to that Starbucks, you know? So those are kind of the, probably the five key points that they're considered. If, if you don't hit those, all those check boxes, they're probably, you're probably not a candidate to sell to a DSL. And location wise, as far as city versus rural, would DSOs be less interested in rural practices, rural city practices? So it depends how rural we're talking here. Um, the DSOs will consider buying a rural practice, but I, I mentioned earlier, you know, generally they want you to stay on for two years. They, they may require you to stay on for a longer period of time. So they might require you to stay on for four years. And then the caveat would be, you know, if you want to leave early, there's going to be a significant penalty and they're going to want you to give at least, you know, one year or a year and a half's notice if you do plan on leaving. So they, they will consider rural practices, um, but it, it's definitely not first pick. Got it. Greg, our next question is, are all DSOs created equal? And what are the main distinguishing differences between DSOs? Like in anything, there's good, there's bad, there's ugly, right? So everyone has strengths and weaknesses. Um, but it really depends on too, what, what do you want as a seller? And you know, do you still want to work and, and, and for how long? So some DSOs, they require a two-year work back. Some require a three-year work back. Some require a four-year work back. There's a lot of things that go into that. You know, we just alluded to it, you know, rural practice versus a practice in a major metropolitan area. So that comes into consideration. <laughs> what about retaining ownership and equity? So some DSOs, they're going to buy 70 to 80% of your business and you're going to ret retain 20 to 30% still. Now there's good and bad to that, right? So the good is you still have equity and anything left over, you're going to get a piece of it still. So you still have, you're still getting, you know, some ownership portion, but the bad is wh what if that DSO isn't who you thought they were and they go belly up, you're, you're losing your money. So there's other DSOs where they do not require you to retain equity. So what they do is th they buy out your business 100% and they just hold money back to ensure you stay. But you're not gambling that money. As long as you stay for the two-year time period at the schedule that, they, that you guys uh, agree upon, you know, you're going to get your money. So you're not gambling as much. So you know, really you're looking at, you know, taking an equity role or not taking an equity role. So every DSO is different there. Another big one and probably a large consideration here is what are you going to get paid post sale? Okay. So you have to stay on and work back, let's say two years in this example, are you going to get paid 25% of collections, 30%? So one corporation DSO that I won't name specifically, they only pay 25%. So you're, you're gonna sell your practice and you're gonna work back for 25%. And I, I know a lot of sellers and a lot of docs, you know, aren't willing to work for that percentage. Where others, you know, they're willing to pay more. Um, let, let's see what else we can think of here. Uh, are, are you still gonna, here's a big one. Are you still gonna manage the office? Or is the group just gonna consult for you? So, you know, a lot of people that are selling 
they're selling because they want to get rid of the managerial headaches, but there's DSOs out there that are still wanting you to run the show. They're just a quote unquote consultant. So you need to ask if you're talking to DSOs, you know, what are they going to be doing for you? Right. And then if they, if you get a DSO that is going to do everything for you, what's the fee for such? There's something called management fees. So they can charge you a percentage or they can charge you a set amount per year to, to manage the practice for you. So those are probably the main considerations. If you're talking to DSOs, you know, how one can differ from the other. There's, there's a lot of moving parts and I mean a lot. Well, with that, with that in mind, do you uh, think it's worthwhile for a seller to connect with uh, a, a qualified broker to assist them in selling their practice to a DSO? Or do you think that the, the seller should go on their, go it alone? Absolutely. So it, it, just like if you're doing a doctor to doctor deal, we'll call them, you know, you're a seller and you want to sell and, and find another doctor to take over your practice. You know, there's a lot of brokers for that, but brokers also, you know, help with DSOs as well. Right. As we just mentioned, you're not going to know which DSOs are the good, the bad, the ugly, and which ones, you know, we're going to talk to you and put together a plan. You know, are you that doctor that's 45 years old and you still need to drill for another 10 years? You know, in that scenario, we might find a corporation, a DSO, that is going to pay you a lot more money but require you to stay on for five years in comparison to, you know, someone that, you know, you only want to work two years and the only reason you're working that two years is because you're getting a big paycheck, you know, more than, if a private, more than a private buyer. So using a broker, you know, we know these things and, you know, every, every DSO is different. And uh, more so than anything, Bob, the supply and demand. It doesn't matter which market or which buyer you're looking at. If you're just talking to one person, you're, you're probably selling yourself short. So using a broker, you know, make sure you're not selling yourself short. Yeah, you might have to pay us a commission, right? It's what we do for a living. But I promise you, if you have a quality practice, you're going to come out on top even paying a commission if we do our job properly. Got it. Greg, I'm very happy that you've been able to join us for these past two episodes. Could you please uh, share your contact information with our listeners? Yeah, I appreciate you having me. The best way to reach me is my cell phone is 561-596-1782. And if you want to learn more about us or have any questions, happy to answer any questions. Our website is doctors-choice.com. Great. Greg, thank you so much. Take care.